We're going to uh, Texas, aren't we, this week, 1956? Yeah, for a very important moment in history for a movie called The Searchers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I've never been to Texas, but I want to go so bad. Yeah, I've never been either. But uh, look, there's a message on my phone last night from uh, David Yazbek from CKCU uh, Radio oh, in yeah. Ottawa. Yeah, Dave wanted to know if he could uh, hitch a ride with us. So are you up for oh, that? More than, more than enough room in the Wayback Machine. Yeah, absolutely. So uh you know, we'll head back to Texas in 1956 and pick up Dave. So are you ready for a trip, my friend? I'm always ready. All right, let's do it. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. Let's check what's on the radio. I wonder what kind of commercials they were playing in Texas in 1956. Cause he's full of Texas pride He drives a Dodge that king side With the Texan, the Texan Branded on its side His Dodge has full spot and driving to 30 horse V8 It's got Dodge suntan styling It's the prettiest car in any state You can tell a man from Texas Cause he's full of Texas pride He drives a Dodge the king size With the Texan, the Texan Branded on its side Yes, it's the Texan, the Dodge Texan Sold only in the Lone Star State See it at your Dodge dealers now well, here we are, Texas, 1956, and we're on our way to Lubbock for uh, something pretty cool. But we have to pick up Dave first, and I, I think his stop is over there, so uh, let's yeah, just... Yeah, I think he's waving at us. Yeah, let's just pull over and pick him up. Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Tony. How about you? Well, doing great. And uh, I'm glad we were able to pick you up here. When I got your message, uh, I let Aaron know. And uh, it, what a coincidence, eh, Aaron, that we just happened to be in Texas as well. So that's fantastic. Hey, you know, we're always welcoming people into the Wayback Music Machine. Well, that's right. As long as you got enough room back there, David, for your legs, we're good. Oh, this is really comfy, actually. I quite like it. And I, I hope your sound system is excellent in here, too. Oh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> we got well, the windows are down place. and it's warm out, it'll be great. That's exactly. right. Do you want a Malomar or anything? Um. Oh, sure. I want a Diet Coke, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Well, except we're in 1956, so I don't think we're going to find a Diet Coke here. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no, you're going to right. tab. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, we're on our way to Lubbock, but uh, what are you doing in down in Texas here? Oh, you know what, Tony? Texas is, is one of my favorite places. Uh, there, I don't know what it is. There, there's something about the land that... Uh, creates amazing singer-songwriters. We're gonna, you're gonna be talking about one today. So I've, I, I just, I find I'm, I'm immediately attracted to Texas artists, and I've been there before. It's a great place, and you can take every single stereotype you have of Texas and Texans and throw them out the window. 
um, when I was there, I had a fantastic time and always uh, happy to get back there. So that's why I'm here now. Check oh, it out again. Excellent. And actually, I was going to ask you, uh, on your show that you host with CKCU Radio, uh, do you ever do, have you ever done an episode about Texas singer-songwriters specifically? Or you? I have, yeah. I actually have. I have done, uh, occasionally I've done, I know I did a little theme once about uh, artists from Austin, Texas, uh, and occasionally I've, I've focused on Texas singer-songwriters, yeah, from, from time to time. Uh, absolutely. Oh, that's that's fantastic. You, yeah. you were saying you you were saying that uh, you had a funny story about a punk band in in Texas. Oh yeah, this is a great one. Um, I, I was in San Antonio, well, in San Antonio and Austin uh, a couple of years, well, three years ago now, and uh, it was the Day of the Dead. It happened to be uh, you know October Day of the Dead, and there was a bunch of celebrations going on. And I took a photo of this band, this punk band, playing outside. And they they sounded great. I enjoyed them, and I put it up on social media. And then, like, within an hour, somebody comments and say, hey, that's my band. I think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so here's somebody I might know. I'm going to get to know this person in, in San Antonio. And I, I wrote her a message. I wrote them a message. And then we ended up chatting about music and uh, just kind of became friends, you know, through social media. I've actually interviewed them uh, for my radio show and played their music. And, yeah, they're a pretty cool punk band out of uh, San Antonio or just south of San Antonio, actually. But, uh, what, yeah. What's their name? What's their name? Fantastico. <laughs> Oh, cool. Great name. Great yeah. name. Yeah. Great name. It's pretty awesome. And then they'll be thrilled that we're talking about them right now, too. Oh, exactly. We'll have to <laughs> name drop here and make sure that yeah, they catch yeah. the show. For but sure. yeah, there is something in the water in Texas, for sure, that produces some pretty uh, amazing people. Right? Like, it's mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of my favorites from Texas. I mean, there's so many, but Town, you mentioned it before, Towns Van Zandt, who yes. I... I uh, I've been a fan of since I was probably eight years old because my, my, I have an older brother that used to uh, force me to listen to Towns Van Zandt, and uh, I thank him every day for that. <laughs> so. Well, I'll tell you another quick anecdote about being in, in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, long story short, the Airbnb didn't work out, desperately needed a hotel, found a hotel called the Carpenter Hotel, and basically booked it on spec. And I get into the, the lobby, and the lobby has a, a stereo system with a turntable set up and a whole rack of vinyl, all accessible to the, uh, the, the guests of the hotel. And there's Towns Van Zandt on the table playing. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, it was like heaven. Oh, my goodness. This is perfect. Carpenter Hotel. Highly recommend. I was, oh, I was in a hotel cool. in Los Angeles when they had that set up, too. It was, yeah. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. You walk into the lobby, and there was this little cove, and they had a turntable set up, and, and you could just spin records, and they had... yeah. You know, it was great. I thought that was, you know, I kept, my wife kept going, well, we should go with you. Yeah, but they got, uh... <laughs> that's right. No, I want to stay here. <laughs> well, I think I told you, Aaron, on one of our other road trips, this is a great story about turntables, David. Uh, you know, I, I teach uh, high school music as well, right? And uh, this is uh, quite a few years ago now, but uh, the kids saw my record collection at the school because I have all my records uh, at the school because I will pull them out to show the kids once in a while and, I've got everything on there, and uh, and I said to them, you know what, let's get a turntable in here, and we'll play some of these. We'll do that tomorrow. And that was a track meet day, and I had like four or five track team members in my class, and the day that we brought the turntable in, of course, all of them got sick and were unable to go compete in the track meet, right, because they wanted to stay and listen to, to records. I remember we listened to, we listened to Night at the Opera, uh, Zeppelin Three. Those are the two I remember that we played full in uh during that period because our periods are 75 minutes right we were right. Just, yeah it was a blast <clears throat> total blast Exciting. yeah they loved it track coach well, wasn't too impressed but uh. <laughs> uh, 
I've been in the process over the last three weeks of moving my uh, my turntable set up from the basement to the living area. So as a result, I've been going through all my old vinyl and moving it, and I'm finding things that I forgot I had or records yeah. that I listened to maybe a few times and filed them away. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and kids kids are good for that too. My daughter will be rifling through my records, going, "I didn't know you had this album. Like, oh, gee, I forgot about that. Let's, let's put it on." Yeah, so that's right. Um, don't get it. That's Linda. I'm sure she's listening. She uh, she digs the point, and then she'll then she'll just subtly hint. Well, you know, um, if you don't want it, <laughs> yes, I do want it. Um, but we're going to go to Lubbock, Texas, because um, yeah, yeah we're pulling theater. up right now. We're on the outskirts right here. There's a sign. Yeah, we're going to go to the State Theater. It's a movie theater in Lubbock, Texas. That's showing a movie. It's uh, in 1956, right? May yeah, 31st. May, May 31st. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the movie is The Searchers with John Wayne, correct? Now, what's interesting about The Searchers is that not only did it inspire a song we're going to talk about, it also inspired a band from uh, England, a group called The Searchers. Right? I mean, they oh, were big, go. big John Wayne fans, I guess. But uh, there's a very famous line in the movie, guys. Do you know what the line is? Well, I can guess, but you go ahead. <laughs> That'll be the day. See, that was my John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. the day Pilgrim. it's a little light in the backseat here Aaron but I, I could get it I could get a little bit of it yeah. All right. <laughs> so in the audience is Buddy Holly with uh, Jerry Allison and they go well that's a good line and they write the song that'll be the day when they go home and uh, his first number one well and you know what Aaron these are my favorite music history moments are these kind of smaller ones that we visit because sometimes we do you know big huge monumental ones but uh, ones like this where there's a little coincidence that you know launches someone's career right because at this time Buddy Holly was still struggling in uh, May 31st 56 he was still trying to find his way well you know and and, and David was just ta- David was just talking about finding records and when I was going through my I was just rearranging my seven inch singles I found my mom's seven inch single Oh, that'll be the day. Original oh, pressing. Huh? She went at the church. <laughs> so, and I put it on. It sounds perfect. I mean, this is this record is what sixty years old or so, and it sounds fantastic. But you're right, Tony. This was his first. And 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 by the way, the label doesn't say Buddy Holly. It says the Crickets. Yeah, it's just the Crickets. That's right. The Crickets. Yeah. And in fact, they didn't call them Buddy Holly and the Crickets until after his passing, right? Right. And the Crickets' name inspired another band name. The Beatles. Yes, that's right. You know, so he was he was a very influential guy, Mr. Hawley. And you look at his hits, right? Like, I mean, he he only had a two-year career, but well, three-year, two and a half. I mean, you had Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue got married, Heartbeat. I mean, it's just words of love. Um, and he produced Waylon Jennings' first single in 1959. That's right, because Waylon was working as a DJ, wasn't he? He yeah, was in Lubbock, yeah. Mm-hmm. In Lubbock too, yeah, yeah. Interesting connection, and I, I'm sure I've heard of Holly's connection to Lubbock before, but I didn't realize how central it was that uh, to this. And uh, it's, I'm fascinated to hear it now. So it's great. It's great to, to learn about that. My my dream is to go to Texas. I've never been there, and and uh, I never have know, either. I, I just got to go one day. Well, I when have. you do, I'll get, I can give you some tips for sure. Uh, it's a pretty great place. Yeah, Cynthia went down there. Austin or. Uh, no, Cynthia went down to Dallas oh, and, okay. she, and she went down right in the middle of summer and uh, she said the heat was unbelievable, but she said you walk around outside and everybody's wearing jeans and long sleeve shirts and then you uh, go into a building and the air conditioning is so cold. Uh, 
But well, my, my, my daughter, my eldest daughter, Emily, used to live in Savannah, Georgia. And we used to go down and visit her, and we had to take her down in August to start school. And uh, I, I used to say that when you walked out of the hotel, it was like a very big, angry man with a big bag of burning bricks just smacking you in the face as you walk out. <laughs> so it was so hot in Savannah and uh, humid and humid. Man, oh, man. But, you know, you were talking, David, about all these musicians, or Tony, you were too, about all these musicians from Texas. And, and I mean, you know, we got Willie Nelson, but there's a lot you were talking about, David, that, that kind of people kind of forget maybe you're from Texas, right? Well, yeah, there's, uh, you know, as Roy Orbison was from Texas, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, of course, uh, Steve Earle, you, I think Steve Earle was born in Virginia, but he was he, he was living in Texas by the time he was about two years old. So he's effectively from Texas. Um, Alejandro Escovedo, uh, one of, you know, I think one of the most underrated artists there is out there uh, from Texas. Uh, a guy I discovered a few years ago uh, named David Ramirez, who I got mm-hmm. to see perform at a, at a studio actually in, in Texas, is amazing. Um, I can't Guy Clark, uh, and then there's folks like Spoon, you know, from Austin, and Austin has just an amazing eclectic uh, music scene. So everything you'd think is Texan, uh, but so much more. The Octopus Project is another one that's uh, pretty wild, but uh, not not something you consider to be from Texas. And of course, Fantastico. Great, yes, that's great, right. A great little punk band. That's, that's our, our third, what, second or third time, so perfect. I, I'm Googling them as soon as we're done here. To listen. When I get back to 2021, I'm going to look. The other, you know who's surprisingly from Texas, though, from Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth is uh, Orna Coleman. Oh. Oh, wow. is that right? Interesting. Yeah, another yeah. Texan. Look at that. Orna Coleman, right? So. Now, uh, David, is Austin your favorite kind of section of Texas you've been to, your favorite part? Well, I was, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I, it's it's such an amazing city. I mean, with the University of Texas, it's a little liberal oasis in, in yeah, the state. Yeah, I keep hearing that. And yeah, and just the art there, even little little bits of art all over the place. People were super friendly, um, great public spaces, lots of live music venues. Uh, so it was pretty fun, yeah. yeah. But San Antonio was cool, too. And then I also spent some time in Fredericksburg, which is the, the wine country. Do you know that Texas is a, it's either the second or third largest wine producer in the United States? Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I it's, didn't know and that. It, most of that is up in the north uh, part of the state, which is more desert-like. But there is a there is like a mini wine industry outside of Austin, about an hour outside of Austin. It's really pretty, hilly, uh, sweet place. Yeah. Does that does that wine industry uh, exist in here in 1956? Because I'm going to stop and pick up. Probably that. not. Probably okay. not. Yeah, and I'm okay. driving. If you're going to stop, Tony, because I'm I'm the, I'm the sober one. Yeah, probably <laughs> moonshine though. <laughs> don't, don't knock moonshine. I've had it. <laughs> Back in the day. Not from Texas, mind you, but I have had moonshine um, from Bancroft, Ontario. That was uh, I've had some stuff. from near there too. Uh, yeah, Maple Leaf, Cumberbeer. <laughs> Do you know, there's one other musician I would be remiss to, to to forget who came from Texas, and that is Michael Nesmith. Who, oh, yeah. I know the Monkees thing, but Nesmith's solo stuff in the 70s, man. Uh, the first national band, his country stuff is just is top-notch, in my opinion. So, oh, you gonna, know what? I, I agree with you. After on our old show that we did together, after our Monkees episode, I went and listened to a bunch of Nesmith's stuff afterwards. And you're right. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. It's good now, stuff. We'd be remiss when we're talking about Buddy Holly if we didn't, talk more about that connection between uh, Buddy Holly and Waylon Jennings because man talk about something that haunted uh, Waylon for a long time mm-hmm. uh, and Aaron I'll, I'll let you describe that because you were telling me about that and uh, before the trip but man that's uh, that's unbelievable 
I can't. Well, Bunny imagine. wasn't feeling well. They were touring, and they had to take a flight. Some were going to drive on a truck or a bus, and some were going to fly to the next gig. Um, and Buddy wanted the f- so Waylon gave up his seat, and of course Buddy Holly as a joke said, "Well, I hope your hope your bus breaks down," and Waylon, without thinking, just said, "Well, I hope your old plane crash, your old plane crashes," and that haunted Waylon. And uh, he did an interview where he said his therapist finally said to him, which I thought was you know a great therapy. He said, "You know, you think you're so powerful by saying that. Why don't you just say, hey, Buddy, come back to life now?'" And he should be here. And Waylon was like, well, I can't do that. So the guy goes, exactly. Yeah. This isn't you're doing, Waylon. There was a stupid comment. And of course you feel bad, but enough. You know, so. Yeah. yeah well, and win. the thing with the tour buses, I, I, I did some reading on this. And I mean, they're, they're, this tour that he was on, uh, well, the Winter Dance Party, right? That's what it was yep, called. Yeah, the Winter Dance Party, yeah. And Alan Freed. It was not very well planned. And they were hip hop, like, like a big zigzag all over the place. Um and the, the bus, it was freezing and the bus didn't have proper heating. And at one point I, I read on that tour, they went through, there were 11 different buses in four days because of breakdowns and things like that. And uh, wow. they were refurbished school buses, right? That's what they were using was a refurb school bus. And uh, the drummer, right, had to miss, didn't he miss the last show because he got frostbite on his feet? Okay, so I, this this is where I'm going to go on a tangent for a minute, Tony. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to do sure. this. And, and, and for, for those of you who love baseball, bear with me. Or don't, bear with me. But, you know, I've been, I'm reading a book about the history of baseball right now. And you read about some of those old players. Ty Cobb played a whole game with pneumonia, stole four bases, had four home runs. And nowadays, as Buck, as Buck Martinez will say, you know, the pitcher will leave because he's got a hangnail. So they were a bit tougher, I think, <laughs> back in 1959. <laughs> uh, and you, you look at Hank Williams and you read about his tours were just crazy. I mean, he was zigzagging across the country. And, of course, he didn't last long. But, boy, while Hank was with us, he produced some fine music, didn't he? Well, and Buddy decided to charter the plane because he wanted to get back and do some laundry and get some sleep. <laughs> and he figured, you know... Um, and they only had, uh, there's only enough room for four people, the pilot and three passengers. And they had flipped uh, coins, right? Richie Valens got on there from a coin toss. So did the big bopper. And yeah. what a what a story. And what Okay, a I, I, I have one other question for you guys. I'm sure you know the answer, but I'm going to just toss it out. Who owns Buddy Holly's musical catalog? I don't know. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Oh, does Paul? McCartney owns his entire catalog of music. He, he bought it. McCartney has a publishing company called MPL, which is the largest independent music publishing company in the world. And he bought all of Holly's music. And in fact, has his glasses that he was, his wife oh. gave him the glasses that he was wearing when the plane crashed. And he has all the original instruments for that tour. But wow. so yeah, he, he owns, well, he owns that. He owns Carl Perkins. He owns Annie, Chorus Line. Anyways, but he... He's a huge Holly fan, as I think we all know. Yeah. And from 75 to about mid-80s, he used to sponsor the Buddy Holly Week in London. And uh, they had these big celebrations of people like Robert Plant and Elton John and, uh, you know, Freddie Mercury. And all these people would go to these big events called the Buddy Holly Week. So, Well, and Buddy Holly, I think, was a lot more influential than uh, a lot of casual listeners realize. I mean, he was also probably the first guy to cement that four-piece rock band mm. lineup, right? With the, yeah. the two guitars, bass, drums. That was Buddy Holly. And um, an incredible, incredible loss in 59. Well, and you know, you're right, Tony. It's also super hard to recognize how influential a single 
Central Bank could be back then when when the airwaves were quite limited. You know, so it was like it was like it was always like community radio or college radio, right? I mean, you had smaller audiences, but you could have larger influence as a band uh, that that appeared and got some singles out and so on. And uh, yeah, it's interesting too, Aaron, how you talk about that. You know, we often talk about the British invasion, but obviously there's lots of cross-referencing and, and cross-pollination going on across the Atlantic, um, you know, both ways. Uh, it shows uh, nicely the universality of music. Especially in, in the 50s. I mean, you would think that today it's much easier with the internet and, internet, you know, satellite dishes and all that, but there, it was carrying across back then, which is really cool. I mean, here's this guy yeah. from Texas. That's right, who's, Texas who's, too, of course. Which... Yeah, and he's, he's, te- he's influencing all these British artists, and it's it's a great story, and I and I, you know, David, you mentioned something which I'd love to pick up on one day, which is the whole community radio. Because um, I, I, I'm a big fan of community radio and a big, big fan of independent radio. I'm not a big fan of the chorus stations or Rogers. What I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the 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 chain ones. I love small radio stations, right? Love them. Well, it's been a thrill for me. I've been doing a show on CKCU's for since uh, 2004, and you know oh, nobody wow. ever nobody ever says thou shalt play this or you can't play that. And I've developed a routine where, uh, you know, pre-COVID anyway, I'd have two or three interviews a week, and a lot of them would be local. And a lot of people would get up at 7:30 in the morning to come down to the studio and perform live, which is pretty amazing yeah, for musicians. Um, and it was like this. It was just somebody coming in and I, I, people say, well, what do you want to talk about or how are we going to do this? And I say, well, just pretend we're having coffee together. You know, we're just going to chit chat about something you love and about something I love. And it'll be magic. And it is. And uh, yeah, all that program stuff is. I don't, th- I don't think the musicians had gone to bed. Oh, I've had that happen. <laughs> I bet you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting that for a second. <laughs> I, um, you know what? I just before you sorry Tony Andrew, but I have all these tapes from CKCU of bands like Rational Youth performing live from the eighties. Oh, fun! So, oh, yeah. That's excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, no, all I was going to say is we're going to have to stop for gas soon because Aaron and I have to uh, head to the future. We're heading off to nineteen sixty seven, so uh, I guess we'll have to drop you off before we go there. But uh, David, and, and fix the brakes this time so you don't have to tuck and roll. That's right. That's right. We can actually stop and let you out. We don't have to toss you like we did, Bernard. But well, I, I had one final thought about, because we were mentioning, you know, Texas. And you know what impresses me the most about uh, early rock and roll is how it wasn't New York. It wasn't Los Angeles. It was Memphis. It mm. was, you know, Lubbock, Texas. Like it was, yeah. it was these little, you know, um, Tupelo, Mississippi, like these, these, it was backwater places, not not New York and not uh, Los Angeles. And I think that's just so That's cool. a good point. That's an excellent point. You're right. Yeah. David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I hope we can talk again because I would like to uh, talk more you know, about your community radio, but also some of the other stuff you've done, the folk festivals. And you're a busy guy, but man, you've done some cool things. And I well, like talking music anytime. Yeah. Well, and you uh, know what, Dave? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'd love to have you uh, come back in the van for another road trip. And, uh, it was great chatting with you. Thanks, my friend. 
I would be happy to come back. I've really enjoyed this. And it's always a thrill to chat with people who are so much in love with music. Uh, and it's great. And it's funny how things just bounce off each other. And you could, you, we, we can continue this for hours, I'm sure, if we wanted to. Oh, no, uh, problem. Right. no problem. You could probably <laughs> use a little air freshener in this vehicle, though. Uh, yeah, I, I think. know. Yeah, I know. yeah that, was, that, was my, that was the Doritos. I, 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 I stole the bag. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. them up. I'll vacuum we, them. we log a lot of miles. So, yeah, you're right. We'll have to send this in for it's good true. detailing, I think. All right. All right. All right. Thanks See for the ride. Later. Hey. All right. Mike, All right. Talk nice to you later. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Before we head to uh, 1967, though, we should talk about the charts. So uh, what was on the charts this week in uh, 1956? Well, I think I, I went for the album charts because the singles charts weren't really that accurate in 1956 in the Billboard. But the albums were. And it's interesting because this is the year of Sinatra. Um, number five is The Man with the Golden Arm soundtrack. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not, actually, no. Oh, it's an incredible film. Frank Sinatra playing a heroin addict trying to kick the habit. Oh, wow. Great movie. Number four is uh, Frank Sinatra's songs for Swingin' Lovers. Um, another great album. I, I grew up with that album, so it has a lot of memories for me. Number three is the soundtrack to Carousel. Um, the less said, the better. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two is Harry Belafonte's Belafonte album, which I think was number one for a year. It was a huge album at its time. Great album. Holds up to this day. I don't know if you're a Belafonte fan, but I, I think am, I told actually. you before, that was the first artist I ever saw live. My mom took me when I was four. Um, Harry Belafonte. Uh, with Miriam Makiba opening. I still remember. I was four years old. Uh, and number one is a guy named Elvis Presley. His what debut a shock. album what called a shock. Elvis Presley. Great album, great album, great album. Yeah, so that's 56 charts. So this is what Buddy Holly would have been hearing, certainly on the radio, um, when he went into that movie theater, you know? Well, and it was Elvis Presley that convinced Buddy Holly to make the move to rock and roll. He had been doing Absolutely. more country and western type stuff, and he opened for Elvis three times. I didn't know that. I was doing some now, research, and that's That would be cool. a double bill that I would... I don't know. I would give my right arm to see that. That would have been amazing, you know? Oh, it sure would. But, um, yeah, so that's Buddy, and he would have been listening to Sinatra. And, but I think he probably had Elvis Presley on his turntable probably more than any, anyone else. Maybe I, Belafonte. I would say. <laughs> well, what do you think? I, uh, you ready to head to 1967? What a huge event we're going to be talking about in a minute. Yeah, I'm. I am so ready. Uh, just let me grab some um, some, some Coca Cola, <laughs> as they used to call it, and I'm ready to go. Yeah. Okay, punch it in. Ah, oh, that's perfect. Here we go. So here we are again in London, England. It's June 1st, 1967. But I think before we talk about why we're here, we should really uh, talk about the charts first because we're going to blow that up in a second, aren't we? So what was on the charts that week? 100%. Well, I'm going to look at the album charts because we're going to talk about an album. And in the album charts, you had a number five, the soundtrack to Dr. Zhivago. Number four was the Mamas and the Papas with Deliver. Number three, believe it or not, was Bill Cosby, Revenge. Aretha Franklin was at number two with I Never Loved a Man, The Way I Love You. And number one was The Monkees. Now, 
The Monkees were also at number seven. And also in the uh, top ten would have been number 14 was uh, Herb Alpert of the Tijuana Brass, Whipped Cream, and Other Delights. Oh, yeah. So, I, I actually you know, like that album. I, I, I'm a Herb Alpert fan, so. Well, it's a classic album. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 the cover's iconic, right? Yeah. Um, so this is what was popular in 1960. The, monkey, the Monkees were huge. More of the Monkees. Monkees' are, first album was at number seven. But then there's a group from Liverpool who had spent 129 days recording an album, right? Yes. And uh, they're going to blow up this whole idea of what popular music is. So uh, June 1st, 1967, what happened, Aaron? Let me introduce to you the act you know for all these years, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is released. And, I mean, it's released. And um, there's a great clip. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's McCarty in early 67. And the, re- the interviewer says, we keep reading reports that the Beatles are finished. And McCartney goes, you just wait. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> That's all he says. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful moments. And for me, it's like, just you wait. We, we got something up our sleeves. And boy, did they have something up their sleeves. Oh. Unbelievable. Um, and and like incredible. you say, so many days spent, you know, like a third of a year uh, working on this album in the studio. Individual bear, songs. Bear in mind, their first album was recorded in one day. That's right. You know, uh, a song like Day in the Life, 47 hours of studio time, uh, just to one song. And that was the whole thing, right? The Beatles had unlimited budget, unlimited time, and they had something they wanted to do. And... I don't think it's a stretch to say the most influential album of all time. That's my I, I, that's my opinion. I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you. 100%. I I can't think of anything that has had the impact on changing the course of popular music history. Um, and, I, and society. Oh. I mean, it launched the summer of love. I mean, it, it launched everything. I mean, it 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 everything changed i mean in 2012 when they did the olympics in london who did they what was the first thing you saw people dressed as sergeant pepper come out right yeah that was 2012 so yeah yeah and can and continues to influence popular music to this day you know i i constantly hear songs that are like oh my gosh that that was obviously in in uh you know influenced by sergeant pepper i can i get on a soapbox for a minute here uh, uh yeah by uh, all means okay i want to uh, talk about Rolling Stone magazine and their greatest albums list of all time. So 2003, they listed this as the greatest rock and roll album of all time. I mean, sure, you could make a case for Revolver as well by the Beatles. Um, but I think it, just in terms of sheer influence, you, you have to give it to Sgt. Pepper. Uh, in 2020, though, the revised list, this dropped down to 24, which... Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm 100% in disagreement with. And I'm not knocking the, their number one choice. Like Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, is a, is a brilliant album. And I listen to that album all the time. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But to me, you know, yes, that album was important because of its commentary on civil rights and on the way society was moving. But, it, but in terms of what impacted music history, popular music, uh, I don't think you can compare it to Pepper. I just don't. And it's not a comment on race or anything like that. It's just the sheer fact of how influential Pepper was and continues to be. 
I, I completely disagree with that new ranking. And I was shocked, actually, when they, I mean, if you want to say that, I mean, I agree with you. I love Marvin Gaye, and I think it's an important album, but there was a lot of important albums that year that addressed Stevie Wonder. Uh, did a great album where he addressed the social, you know, what was going on. And Marvin Gaye wasn't the first to do that. No. By the way. <laughs> and, and so just my own personal opinion. Uh, and again, I'm not making, I any love, Marvin. Love, yeah, I love, love Marvin Gaye and I love, uh, but I think pepper is the more important album of the two. And that, again, that's my opinion. Feel free, feel free to disagree <laughs> if you're listening, but um, sometimes I question these choices that are made and i worry that you know when you're trying to be diverse at the expense of disregarding what people did and sergeant pepper was a monumental a monumental achievement like i can't how else do you describe it well look it introduced world music prior to pepper i mean revolver had love you too which had the indian music on it but here harrison brings indian music and Indian culture into mass world appeal. And mm-hmm. and here's a song that's sitting at number one for the entire year. Made number one in 2009, made number one in 87. It, it's just continually charts. Then when people are introduced to Indian music, I mean, that was that's pretty, when you talk about diversity, I mean, that was very cool that they, the Beatles would introduce this kind of music into, and I remember seeing um, an interview, and I'm sorry, I forget his name, someone from the Wrecking Crew, who said the wrecking crew being the people that used to do all the backing for a lot of rhythm and blues records and such. And they talked about the drum beat in the Sgt. Pepper reprise, which they, they used a lot from that point forward in a lot of funk music and a lot of um, R&B and, and Aretha Franklin and Otis Redding, you know, they, they said, you know, so. It is, uh, yeah, and a song like Within You, Without You, you know, what a masterpiece by George Harrison. Yeah, and, and and my personal favorite on the album, and probably my favorite song of all time, which is A Day in the Life. Oh. I mean, you cannot, how do you even, what do you compare to that? What, I mean, what? What oh, do you compare to that? Can you imagine in 1967 listening to that album? First of all, no cuts between tracks. Nope, solid flow, yeah. Yeah, solid flow. Um, you know the the way the the album's introduced with the orchestra warming up and everything and like everything it was a, it changed everything it changed everything. I mean, it, it changed how you approached an album as a listener and as a musician. It changed how you 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 bands had to adjust and then they did. I mean, you look at what the Stones did after that, or the the Kinks, or the Who, or the Bob Dylan talks about i mean you know he was very influenced by pepper i mean it 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 ushered in pink floyd would not exist were it not for the likes of pepper um prog rock love it or hate it but i mean all those bands were all influenced jethro tell all those people um it just changed it was it was and i don't like this expression all the time but it, it literally was a game changer Oh, right. It's just everything. No singles released off the album. Not one single released off the album. And yet we all think Losing the Sky of Diamonds was a hit single. It was never a single. Mm-hmm. It got played, but it was never a single. Right. And and you're so, right. I think A Day in the Life. What a song. Like just absolutely astounding. And, and what they did there and and just the whole entry of art music into the world of popular music as well. 
you know, the audacity to have a, a piano chord blast for what was it, 42 seconds at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, I like, love that. I, and I, I, <laughs> I, I adore that ending. I mean, there was no other way to end that song other than the, the piano, boom, and it just goes on. And then leave the needle on the record, folks. Yes. Bring your doggy in the room because there's a dog whistle. <laughs> um, did you know, here's a little tidbit. If you buy the British copy of Sgt. Pepper, they had a thing called, that was the first time they ever did this on on a record. It was called an inner groove. So after the dog whistle, when the needle gets to the label, if you don't lift it up, there was a little thing that was the Beatles gibbering for 17 seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't get up and lift it up, it would just play forever. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> neat. It's uh, just everything about this album. But first album to give out lyrics. Uh, one of the first gatefold albums, which means it opened up to a nice picture of the Fab Four. And do you remember, did, did you ever get the copies with the the handouts where you got the cutouts of Sgt. Pepper and the little badge you could wear? No, and, no. Yeah, yeah. When it first came out, uh, up until the 70s, you could buy it. And it came up with a sheet and had a picture of the Beatles and you'd cut it out and fold the bottom. You had a little stand-up Sgt. Pepper and, and oh. there was a, a Sgt. Pepper badge you could clip onto your pocket. It was, I mean, from the packaging to the music to everything, it's perfect. It's the perfect album. Oh, I, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, we could talk about this uh, for another hour, obviously, but... Um, I, I have a, I have a tri- trivia question. Where did the name Sgt. Pepper come from? Oh, I read this the other day, and it's... Yeah, it's, a good, it's a good one. Oh, go ahead. I can't remember. Paul McCarty was having dinner with Mel Evans on a plane flying back to London after being in L.A., and he said, pass the salt and pepper. And he went, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper. There you go. So it came from salt and pepper to Sergeant Pepper. There you go. But it's just, you know, such a radical departure, eh, from from anything that had been done before. It was... Uh, My my brother, who is um, 20 years older than me, used to tell me that that when that album came out, every station was playing it. You couldn't turn on the radio for the summer of 67. And the only thing that they stopped playing it for was when the Beatles came out with All You Need Is Love, yeah. um, <laughs> which was a non-pepper. But all of a sudden, there was a new Beatles single, All You Need Is Love. And um, anyways, I just think it's it's a it's an historic day. And um, even, uh, what year was it? 2017. 2017, when they released the uh, Pepper on the 50th anniversary, it made number one again. Yeah. I mean, here's a 50-year-old album topping the world charts in in this climate of music, 2017. And it wasn't just Beatle fans buying it. It was new Beatle fans buying it. Oh, that's and, right. And people rediscovering this incredible work of art, you know? So I don't know. I don't care what the record polls say and the critics. I think it's the I mean, it's to me, I agree with you, Tony. It's the most important album in history. Oh, 100%. And on that note, uh, we have one more trip to take today. This this is a little <laughs> trip to uh, June 5th, 2003. Tell, tell the story, Tony. Well, you know what? Let's take the trip there and then we'll yeah, tell the story. Because okay. this is a little bit of an unhung, uh, unsung, <laughs> sorry, not unhung, unsung hero story. Uh, this guy's great. So can you punch I love in? This guy. Yeah. Can you punch in June 5th, 2003? There we go. All right. Okay, June 5th, 2003, and we're still in the UK. We're in Yorkshire, uh, a place called Wakefield. And this, uh, I'm not even sure of his, of his real name, but he's known as Ricky Rock. 
but it's a grandfather who set up his own pirate radio station. He uh, was investigated by the local broadcasting authorities. So Ricky Rock, uh, he have, he put up a 32-foot transmitter in his garden, and he was playing hits by the Beach Boys, the Beatles, Elvis Presley, and he said he set it up because talentless boy bands and dance music featured too much on local stations did not cater to the tastes of his generation which that's a I, cool. I, love, I want this guy to be my grandpa <laughs> so you know what he just decides i'm gonna set up my own damn radio station because the music <laughs> around here sucks <laughs> <laughs> so ricky rock uh, we're we're both fans but you know i got to use the line before we travel back to the present aaron can i use the line uh, it's all yours it's, so it's all yours in the uh, immortal words of acdc for those about to rock, we salute you. So let's go back to the present. I'm saluting. <laughs> well, that was a fantastic road trip and it's great to be home. And, you know, I was thinking normally at this time we would do the, what are the kids listening to today? But I thought uh, you recently were a guest in my grade 10 class virtually, and we had uh, all kinds of Beatles chat and, uh, I know that all of my students are listening to the Beatles today, so I don't think we need to do uh, what's on the charts this week. What do you think? I, I agree. I think the kids are listening to the Beatles, and, and as it should be, because, you know, the music stands the test of time. It's as good. When we were doing the class, I was listening to I Want to Hold Your Hand Again. I just forgot how good it was. Yeah. I just went, wow, this is a good song. So, oh, yeah. you should. I, I don't know if you saw. I had a huge grin on my face every time you we did. put I up all the songs. Like, they're just <laughs> such great songs. Well, uh, here we are. We're pulling up to your place. So uh, that was a super trip, Aaron, and uh, looking forward to it next week again. Yeah, I got to pull some weeds. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our next trip, too. Yeah, I love road trips. All right. See you next week, pal. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denee. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game. You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future? So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.